Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Failure, Understanding, Care and Kunst podcast with your hosts, me, Ruth Aitken. And myself, James Stuart Lee. Welcome to part one of our final two-part episode. Part one and two are just conversations between ourselves, myself and James, about failure, about the project fuck over the last four years, the environment and the art industry. We recorded part one of this two-part episode in August Early on in our discussions about failure, we were in Stockholm on our way back to Tromsø from Scotland via the train. We were in our friend's lovely apartment on a warm summer's day before taking the train back north to Umeå in the north of Sweden. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, James Lee. Hello, what's your name? I don't know you. But podcasts should start, you said, treat it like a real podcast, and podcasts start with banter. They start with banter, the, the most hilarious sort of banter. Hello, what's your name? <laughs> yeah, exactly. James Lee, you are an artist and a curator. Would you like to tell us a little about your arts practice? So it began, I would say, in 1983. And I, uh, no, wait. <laughs> I, f- I fucked up my own bet. Uh, <laughs> By forgetting uh, when you were born. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, the the past, uh, the past, what do you call it? Like the, 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 fuck. My bits get worse every time. Uh, they were always quite bad. I started making, so when I was in, it'd be 96 or 97, I started making my own football magazines um, and I would do little cartoons and stuff. And there's one cartoon called Chicken Kiev and he played for Dynamo Kiev. (laughs) 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 And that was one of my first forays into contemporary art but yeah moving forward so i graduated in 2010 um so that was just after the big financial crash thing and i picked up all these credit card leaflets from uh like uh, application forms that's what they're called from uh, royal bank of scotland's bra- branches and then popped them all made paper from them 
And I started thinking about my practice as a form of resistance, and particularly political resistance. Um, and I'd say I'm still kind of interested broadly in that idea of art as a vehicle for politics or what art can do politically uh, and that's different kinds of politics that's not just necessarily one is creating protest art but one is also maybe trying to create structures and build communities so politics in a very very broad sense not just about capitalism or about uh, immigration policy or interest rates or something like that it's 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 politics in the in the broadest sense and that's i suppose why i'm interested in arts led activity i've obviously run arts led spaces before and interested in alternative institutional models that are maybe more responsive as well to to the needs of artists and what their workers and the community that they serve. There you go. Very interesting, James Lee. Ruth Aitken, what's, what, what, who are you? <laughs> who are you? Why are you here? Why, why, why are you touching me? I don't understand. I understand because I'm, you know, I'm wearing marine well, PA shorts. Any opportunity like that. that we were going to use this recording <laughs> and intersperse <laughs> it into anything else is now out of the window because James Lee no, is I a massive I'm pervert. Really good, I'm really good at editing things. <laughs> Ruth Aitken, you are an artist and a curator as well. Can you describe your practice for the listeners to this podcast? The listeners to this podcast, the listeners of this podcast. I today <laughs> today would be. I mean, so this I, is this I, is. <laughs> <laughs> let's never do a radio interview. Let's never do a radio interview. So, in uh, similar to James, in I also had a comic bit character called Chicken Kiev <laughs> that launched me into the art world. Yeah. Uh, I, ha however, was 22. <laughs> no, I, uh, similar to James, I graduated from Dundee University, uh, Dundee University's Art Academy in 2012. Um, but I, I studied time based art and digital film, which is a program that uh, focuses on art that is involves a temporal dimension. So performance and installation. Um, and I think for a very long time, I'd been very interested, like I studied business management in high school and I found it very fascinating and I've always been really <clears throat> absorbed into the idea, thinking about industry and economics of, uh, and, and how economic drives power um, in relation to other forms of power. Uh, social and spiritual um and psychological so yeah this sort of focus on economics and resource and power has sort of driven my practice for a long time and i moved to tromsa in 2016 in northern norway to study a master's and 
already before then I was becoming more and more terrified and uh uh yeah uh, like just shit scared of the climate crisis and how we were not coping with it or dealing with it and then in moving to Tromsø I think everything became even more present and more uh intensely felt and thinking about art or the idea of art for art's sake suddenly became more um art became such a frivolous affair it felt very frivolous to be somewhere studying art when we were in a climate crisis um and so instead of doing anything about that i spent two years having an existential crisis about art and thinking about how art could how art functions and if art has any capacity to um to to function politically yeah and i think i came to the function that art is best it's its political function is not in its content or its uh direct messaging but in it dealing with the structures that lie at the back of it so using art as a means of um rethinking the structures we live in rebuilding using art run models etc etc so in 2018, after we graduate, or I graduated, James Lee and I, uh, we started a project called Failure Understanding Care. James Kins. Lee is an analytical, is it the analytical philosopher, James, James Lee? Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Is it the American footballer, James Lee? He's actually the American footballer, James Lee. Oh, is it the yeah, eco-terrorist, James Lee? I am running an art project with the eco-terrorist, uh, uh, James Lee, yeah. American James Lee eco terrorist. Is he American? Yeah. We started a project called Failure Understanding Karen Kunst, which operated out of an old caravan which I used to live in and which before me I think I used to name. live in. You should shorten it and make make it like the so what would you call it? Like it would be failure so that'd be F under so you could call it fuck. That'd be really funny. Uh, we're never ever getting through this like <laughs> this exercise. Sorry, I'll try and keep my hilarity to a minimum. Right, carry on. Right. Um, so that brings us to here, the point which I'm both artistically and romantically breaking up with James Lee. <laughs> because ultimately I've realized the biggest failure in my life has been this partnership. <laughs> <laughs> the good thing about going out with somebody called James Lee is that there's lots of other James Lees in the world. You could try the Taiwanese film director, James Lee. I could just trade. He's much richer than me. Oh, well, we were uh, talking about that yesterday. Yeah. Maybe we just, uh, I do just There's trade also another in. artist called James is Lee. Is there like an exchange program for James, James Lee? <laughs> 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 we're all kept in a secret government facility. <laughs> And assign new identities, but we're all actually like cloned from the same original James Lee. You all have the same personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, so this fuck project, that sounds interesting. Um, yeah, one would think that, but ultimately, <laughs> if it's been run by an idiot, then. What, what, what were you hoping to achieve when you started fucking? <laughs> when you started fucking James Lee oh man I'm so good I'm so fucking good man. ultimately I thought my life would be in a far better place than it is right now 
Again, failure is a really... Come on, we don't have time for bits. Come on, as you said, come on. With starting the project, we were thinking about how do you... Uh, how do you use art? Um, how could we think about the our impact on the environmental world from an industrial perspective so from the art the, the how, how we produce art and how we engage in art industrially how can that be made more environmentally friendly but also thinking about how we could use uh, restriction and the idea of uh, yeah the idea of restriction as a positive means of generating um of generating uh, change or uh, bringing something new into someone's practice and and maybe opening up new pathways, new creative pathways for them and also potentially new political pathways. Because I think um, particularly that aspect would, so much of how we deal or when I'd been talking to people about why they wouldn't maybe change their practice or do more environmental things in their practice was that it's always framed as a sacrifice that you need to sacrifice something in aid of uh, having a more environmental practice. So you have to sacrifice an aesthetic or you have to sacrifice a livelihood or a way of living or um, uh, yeah, whatever that, that this is a, to deal with the environment is in intrinsically a sacrificial act. And I think we were maybe, or at least I was interested in posing the question not as a, a sacrifice, but something that would be uh, positive and expensive, something that would open things up rather than shut things down. Um, and engaging with that possibility uh, yeah, engaging with that possibility being a being positive <laughs> to, yeah engaging with that possibility uh also opens up room for risk a room for failure and that that is an exciting thing and an important thing and that our notions of failure and success both in the art world and beyond the art world are um i think dysfunctional in a 20 the 21st century in how we move through the world uh because I think they're very archaic ideas um, and that, yeah, we need to disregard the notion of, or the contemporary notion of success, career success, or the understanding of what a successful artwork looks like or does to have maybe a more exciting and more inclusive art scene but also a greener art scene and a greener approach to living and the world beyond the art scene what is your feeling about failure or how were you coming into this project uh thinking about failure in the environment so what really motivates me is the money is getting my bag um, however, I'm just not very good at it. Um, so I chose to do an environmental arts project. In a caravan. <laughs> in a caravan. Uh, yeah, I mean, the motivations coming into it were we have a caravan, we should do something fun with it. 
and the conceptual apparatus around it was really developed by you, right? So I'm basically stealing your your apparatus, but also uh, as a proud husband uh, trying to support his his wife and proselytize. What's the word? Proselytize? Proselytize? Yeah, proselytize. Yeah. Evangelize her message behind every good woman is a, is a man in a caravan. <laughs> and behind every relational artist is somebody doing the real labor. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I suppose, I suppose that was f for a main part of it was that, I mean, obviously I'm really interested, obviously like everybody else in, in, you know, not, dying in 45 degree heat in summer or being washed away in a flood or something like that you know and i i think that for me what was interesting about it or what i wanted to try and achieve when i set out was to try and think through or create alternative industrial models so thinking about how art operates industrially i think for for ruth this collaborator of mine, my now ex-wife, has for her. I think I think it's 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 in the the micro. I think, and it's in the individual practice often. And for me, no, that's oh, putting words in my mouth. Yeah, it is putting words in your mouth. But I think ultimately, that's. <laughs> It's just fucking reality. It's just reality. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Because I think whenever you're dealing, I think for me, it's uh, looking back on the project, what I wanted to achieve from it and where it is are actually quite different things. But maybe it's also because when I wanted to come up with like macro solutions or whatever, like it's really difficult to do that. I think within the the bounds of the 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 manifesto, outside uh, what would be the best way to put it? Maybe we just mean different things by micro and macro because I can understand what you mean by wanting different. What's the best way to put it? What I mean by micro is the idea of people coming in. It's like an individual practice, working with it and thinking it through. Whereas I was thinking, oh, we could create like a whole new way of running institutions or we could create whole new ways of running the arts. And obviously, I think to a certain degree, you could scale up something like the Fuck Manifesto. And it would be super interesting to run like a biennial or a, like a festival to the Fuck Manifesto. That would be really interesting, but I still don't think it would be, what's the best way to put it? I think that it might be a little bit too gimmicky, if that makes sense, to be applicable beyond the novelty, it seems. Because it obviously, by doing it, you obviously come across a whole host of other problems and initiate a whole other host of problems in many ways. Or I can envisage a lot of problems coming out of that. 
and they might be interesting. Uh, so, for example, thinking about the impossibility of or the difficulty of traveling around the world, that's obviously would maybe mean that we'd have, like, I don't know, we would be able to have disabled artists, for, for example, or elderly artists, because they might not be able to travel. For example, that might be one thing, you know, because they couldn't travel great distances uh, by public transport, by not being able to fly, basically. It might put off a lot of very, very, like, not necessarily the poorest artists, but the tier above, who, especially coming from, say, far afield, for example, it might inhibit people being able to, or willing to give up time to travel um, because they can earn more money going around and doing other things in the time it would take to travel, you know? Um, I think it'd be super, super, uh, like, I don't know, like, how did you get all the infrastructure working to the, around the festival working to the Fuck Manifesto? Not buying new stuff, I actually think would be super, super interesting, but I don't know if there'd be a way to police it, but we don't police it now anyway. So I think that would be like an interesting tension yeah, I don't know. And then there's, you know, you know, like how do you keep, particularly if it's a cold, if it's in winter or something like that, how do you keep places warm? Like how do you think about that? That's not an insurmountable object, you know. But obviously, thinking about, I don't know. For example, if something's really hot and you need to use air conditioning and you can only use non-renewable energy, or like thinking about it in terms of the Norway, where it's like really easy anyway, where the idea is it's supposed to like be a hurdle. Where in Norway it's just not a hurdle because it's you know easy, for example, you know. So that's the that that's I think would be quite all the things that would be quite interesting about scaling up something like the fuck manifesto. But what I thought when I was starting it was that maybe there's a way that we could create some sort of document or framework that could actually be viable to be scaled. And I think that maybe now where I see it or where I see maybe my interests going, for example, uh, through my work at a well-known North Norwegian uh, Kunstverening, that that could be integrated, that environmentalism could be integrated more into both the curation but also the, the production aspects and to see how far it could actually go. Yeah. I think just to quickly answer on your uh, point, which I, I still think was putting words in my mouth. It was putting words in your or mouth. Or putting uh, uh, political positions uh, in my mouth. It, it, was editorial it was editorializing, or it was... Uh, or there's a, or, uh, it was not, giving me an opinion an that opinion. I don't have. Yeah, yeah. Or no, no, I think it's more my opinion. I think it's your opinion, but you said that I feel one way and you feel the opposite. Which but I don't think that, is... But, I mean, I think okay. all good podcasts are built around bantering and bickering hopes. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. And just uh, lying and defaming your podcast host. <laughs> um, no, I think, I think we do have slightly different... Not visions, I think, more broadly, but I think we had more uh, intentions towards the manifesto. I never saw the manifesto necessarily as being something that would be scaled up. And I think one of the interesting things about the manifesto or working with like any manifesto is they immediately fail from day one. Like you write them and they stop 
functioning and that is where the interesting thing is because they create so many tensions um and so one of the things that's been great about running the project and i think it reveals a lot of the failure both in the manifesto and uh more broadly is the uh like you say this this complexity about okay what happens when you are a disabled artist or you are elderly although i would say that not necessarily flying is uh uh pro disabled or even pro elderly um but and it also maybe raises the question okay why is our public transport incapable of uh uh should our public transport not also be designed to be used by uh disabled or elderly people but of course the, there's a huge difference in traveling for five or six days by land um but i i think this raises a lot of questions about how our industry is designed how it functions and who's who it's functioning for because why are we needing these um a, why is our industry not paying artists to travel by land? You should not be losing money by choosing to travel by land for a week. There should be, why do we not have like a remunerative system in regards to that that encourages it rather than um, punishes people for choosing that option? Uh, but also why are we, why do we have this idea of festivals as being the central way that the art world functions? Why should audiences be traveling across the world to see a festival. I'm not sure that that's functional, sustainable, or in the best interest of anybody. I can understand why people do it because we have this model that is centralized and keeps art uh, in uh, and funding in a few locations and attached to a few locations and the idea or notion of success and good art as being not something that is done in the local, in the community, but something that is done in these international spaces like Documenta or Venice or uh, like Seoul or whatever. Freeze ba uh, Basel. Has, has the project FAC, has it met your, like has it met your wildest dreams? <laughs> like, do, you, do, you, do you think it has been a success? I don't think there was any capacity for it to succeed or fail, really. Again, challenging the notions of failure or success. I think we were always wanting... It was always going to fail in some regards. In that... Or it was never going to fail because it has, we've given ourselves a get at clause of having failure as a positive thing, right? So there's, there can never be like a, a true failure because failure is seen as the positive and it's something you adapt and learn from. But of course, I think there's things that we haven't done or there's conversations we haven't had that I wish we had had. And this is maybe partially why we're doing this podcast is to make some of those conversations a little bit more, um, uh, or like engage more with those conversations. Uh, so one of the the biggest things I wish we'd um, engage with much more is sort of the digital or the material materiality of the digital. 
maybe just because it's, it's something that I think find I find very interesting. Um, and uh, I think very pressing in uh, how we solve uh, our our problems. Um, but also, um, yeah, I think I think one of our biggest failures was that we were never able to really stick to our guns in our initial. And I think this has been something that we have not adapted to. We just, I do think that is our failure. We've not learned from it or, but the, when we originally started the project, we, we talked about slow curation and slow art and the projects would take the time they need. And we were aiming to operate sustainably in all terms, including economic terms. So we would do the projects that we could afford to do based on our budget. And I think we have fallen into the trap because we have projects and we want to do them. And by the time that you get your response from your funders, you or you know how much money you have for a project, you've already engaged artists. You're already talking with people. You're already dreaming of something. And instead of canceling projects, we've normally, we have canceled some, of course, but we have, we've worked almost for free artists i feel like we have underpaid them even though i do like we have paid all of our artists and everybody that has um collaborated with us we have paid but i do think uh that model that idea of us refusing to work for free or refusing to to operate an unsustainable economic model I don't think has played out, and I think that's maybe been our biggest failure. There's there's two three two or three things I would remark upon. Um, one is a minor, a sort of tangential, and and two are more uh, substantial and beefy. Uh, the first very minor response is when you're talking about uh, public transport not being set up for elderly or disabled people very well. I can only speculate on that, but my assumption is that for a lot of the time, it's not necessarily the fact that there's not a seat for you on a train. It's the fact that you're like, it would be days and days and getting up and getting off and blah, blah, blah. And okay. Okay. Sorry. Like that's the, the right. Okay. Right. But it's also, I think there's very, there's something very much about us. For example, if we were in our 50s or 60s, I wonder if this manifesto would be something we would do or say. And that's a genuine uh, like question mark, meaning that like my knees are already sore after a day on the bus. You know what I mean? So I do wonder if, if that would... Yeah, like I, I do wonder to what extent the manifesto is also a product, not just of a certain implicit critique of a certain industrial or uh, 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 art world model but also just the fact that it's two pretty able-bodied like young and relatively fit people who are who came up with it but that is just a very tangential gripe or or, or, or certainly i can come on to can uh, i quickly yeah, respond yeah, to yeah, that uh like i do agree but we also wrote, wrote this manifesto before the pandemic and 
so it's, it feels very passe to say, but we were also thinking about what are the alternatives to flying. So it's not just keep the same model and do all of your travel by land. It's why are we doing these travels? What is the need for them? Are there other models, i.e. working at a distance with artists or working to instruction or using just like, yeah, Zoom and Skype. And I think all of these things suddenly became very easy and part of a good global conversation as soon as the pandemic started. Um, and strangely, we've started moving away from that again and things aren't happening online anymore. And there is a demand to be in person in places again. So I think... Uh, I agree, but I don't think the manifesto was purely "don't fly, take a take a train." Um, although that's definitely been part of how we've approached things. But also, why are we traveling? Why do we need to do this? Why is this part of our industrial model? Why is there a demand for me to be in Berlin? You know, from Tromsø or from mm. Alaska, or you know. Why are these peripheral art spaces left out of the model? Or sorry, can you expand on that? Um, the only way we can be included is by flying. That's it. The, like the only way we were included in the uh, the artistic conversation is by being in these big art centers. I'm even thinking of uh, to to close my the gap the um, participating in my artist unions Orsmitter the AGM um, up until the pandemic I needed to fly down to Oslo or travel down to Oslo to participate I now can't remember what they did the last year but the during the pandemic they did it online as many people did. And that changed uh, like a completely unnecessary travel to to participate democratically in a political process that I need to be part of or should be part of. Yeah, I can only speculate on the reasons why uh, yeah, a group of very, very old people uh, who are pe probably painters and sculptors would hate the idea of doing something on online. Um, <laughs> I would like to just say that I am not part of a union for old people. I'm literally part of the Young Artists Association. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think there's also, there's, yeah, I, I don't want to get bogged down on this too much because I want to respond to the other thing. Sorry, carry on, Ruth. I agree. But again, this is the, 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 the manifesto is trying to encourage new ways of thinking and not just being like, oh, well, they're old, so they don't know how to use Skype. Okay, but maybe we all learn about new things, right? It's not that we just sit in old models. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, they, they haven't read the, the fuck manifesto or really engaged with it. Um, but no, like my point, my point going on to the manifesto is that I think one of the failures that has happened throughout the project is that when we wrote the manifesto or when the manifesto was coming into being, 
the idea that this would somehow be the constitution that gets passed down that is the 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 the, the foundational text i don't think it was ever re there's a certain arbitrariness to the to the to the what's in it and it was supposed to get at a certain or it was supposed to to produce new ways of thinking and being and acting and making outside of the norm. I think it's done that, or it's a good foundation for it. However, I think that one place where we maybe have failed is that we failed to update and investigate further the manifesto and figure out what is it for. So is it, I'm thinking there's a way to write that manifesto that is going to maybe even be more extreme for example uh or to or to think about what new line could come in or, or something like that so i'd say in a way we've 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 maybe failed because we haven't went back and investigated what we what we started um and i had another response that i can't remember to your response um but in terms of yeah you're right the the, the idea of the uh, of coming online and thinking about how you, one needs to travel i think that's something we're never going to solve uh meaning that every industry is trying to do something with relation to carbon footprints and i think it's just so embedded in the world it is one of the best things about being a part of this world is that we can live a life where one can travel and when you say this project isn't built upon sacrifices that is a sacrifice you know like you you, you don't get to go to see a new city you don't get to i don't know go to the i don't know the istanbul biennial and this idea of bringing, for want of a better word, the art of the peripheries to a center is quite an old model. Like it's, it's very, very old. I think that one could argue that it's maybe an old model that has passed its sell by date, but at the same point in time, I think that the best way to experience art is always in person and I think that your world is a much poorer world if you don't get to experience the art of the world in person if that makes sense you could say that's quite privileged to expect that but there is a certain degree to which it is one of the treats of the modern age right and this idea of, of the artist as somebody who travels and goes around is quite embedded in the idea of what it means to be uh, in certain kinds of art, I suppose, in certain kind of art fields as well. In others, it's really not important. But in some fields, it feels very important to, to tour, as you will, if you're a musician or, a, I don't know, a comedian or something like that. You come to the people rather than the than the other way about um what that means for art is really difficult because often 
it's always the best way to put it. There's a certain degree to which the fuck manifesto is supposed to reorientate. So it reorientates towards the local, which is something I'm very, very interested in rather than the international. As I think that there's plenty of brilliant artists in any fucking geographical locale. And when I don't think anybody in this world has a good barometer on what makes good art or what makes bad art, there's no, uh, there's no socially agreed upon notion of what a good art or, or a bad work, or bad artwork is that is like universal or like cross any demographic. Uh, everybody is just so, unsure of their own aesthetic opinions i think often especially in the the uh, uh, yeah in so many ways um so yeah i think i think how do you when we went to documenta the other day when i mean the other day i mean the other week this idea of seeing the best art in the world put together in one place is incredibly privileged to see that yeah at this same point in time maybe like that's good to experience the other if that makes sense art that is completely out of your comfort zone that is made in a completely different context like that's good even if you don't like it or, you know, you don't respond to it initially, I think there's a virtue in that. Now, one can obviously take that to an extreme and you become a parody of a liberal, uh, like in South Park with all the electric car, you know, the hybrid car drivers who, who start sniffing their own farts. There is a certain degree to which one can get sucked into the, the parody and get sucked into the idea of that of being a cosmopolitan subject whereby you're seeking out the exotic and you're seeking out the the weird and the different and the other for uh, its own sake and your own pleasure but i still think there's something important about building these bridges and obviously that's a very very thin line between what might be exploitative or what might be sensationalist or what might be uncomfortable in a certain way. But I still think it's also important that we learn from each other and think about each other. And there's maybe a model out there that hasn't been discovered about how to do that, but I'm not sure it's on the internet. I think some of some some communities and blah 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 can happen on the internet, but I don't know if the experience of art is best on the internet. Yeah, but there are there are different solutions to different problems, right? Or like two different uh, instances, and uh, like an Orzmit or an AGM or meetings. Um, interviews, proposals, presentations, all of this stuff can happen online. And also, I think there's an aspect that I like, I do think I've changed my mind on the idea of sacrifice. Like, I would love to frame everything because I actually do think it's a 
priv- like I, I I don't think it's a sacrifice to give up the uh like the residency treadmill or the the travel treadmill that a lot of artists are on where you are traveling nine months in a year and you're constantly on the go and you don't have roots. I think it's disempowering. I think it's depoliticizing. And I think it maybe works for a few people, but I think a lot of people are on that model because they can't afford not to be on that model because it's a career. Uh, It will impact their career if they don't. Or in the case of some people in Norway, like if you're a non-EU citizen, uh, it's not that it um, uh, it'll impact your career, but you'll be kicked out of the country if you lose that uh, the the money that that allows you to stay in the country. So I'm what I'm talking about is a system or being critical to is a system that demands that, doesn't offer or allow for alternatives. Um, And that travel is not a treat. That's not about it being a treat. That is, uh, a lot of that is unnecessary travel that could be done in a different way. Some of it is important. I don't like I don't want to say that it's not and I don't want to close the world off. Um Yeah, but also now we are also at a point even like 4 years on from our manifesto when we wrote it we're at a point where also you're like well actually yeah like it is a reality that in a few years we might not be able to fly at all. Or in 10 years, but I mean, we, A, all of the climate models, all of the predictions are uh, wrong in that they have predicted it will take much longer for us to get to the point that we are at like full crisis. So I do think we're maybe at a point where those treats do have to be sacrificed. And I don't. I, I, or at least that we need to be very, very careful and think about the instances in which we want to use those opportunities. That idea of like international travel, like why are we wasting, why are we literally burning oil for domestic flights and for, for doing it two or three times in a week? Yeah, I think the danger is that one always assumes it's somebody else that's, that's, uh, that's the overindulger, you know, when it's, when it's in reality, you is the, is the overindulger or whatever. Um, but I think also, I think, yeah, it will look very stupid if in 20 years time, it's Norway is too hot for planes to stay up in the air. Uh, like it's constantly over 50. Then we will feel very stupid about, you know, all this conversation about flying everywhere, you know, thinking, oh yeah, it's good. It's a wonderful cosmopolitan life and it's great to be connected. And, and this is the thing, of course, I mean, it's, it's, it began as a virtue, right? It began as a way whereby we could make the world smaller and we could experience everyone else. And we were all together and these petty nationalistic divisions were being collapsed, uh, under the weight of this new cosmopolitan subject. 
you know, in the the nineties and the two thousands, and it was an a priori good. And now, of course, it's the blowback blow back from this, which is the fact that yeah, we're fucking all boiling and alive, and our uh, cosmopolitanism will lead to Bangladesh being underwater. It will lead to Miami being underwater. So much for lead to Venice being underwater. Yeah, so much for uh, uh, what is what is the moral goods of cosmopolitanism if the places and the people that we're supposed to be if not celebrating then certainly coming along with us for the ride are literally underwater you know so yeah i i do i do uh i do i do feel that there is a tension here that can't be that can't be uh simply wished away um and i think that so much of industrial uh, so much prosperity in the west now is based upon uh, tourism increasingly now whether that tourism can be replaced by say internal tourism or you know whatever that's not a question i think for us and i think that maybe we often there's a certain industrial model that I think you're right with regards to these residences and whatever, but I also feel that that's also such a small part of the problems of what's going on in terms of contributing to climate change, that I think so much of the problems are much, much epochal, if that makes sense. This I do agree with. Um, and I think this is why we originally, and uh, yeah, this is why we originally framed the, the entire project as being a positive in that it's a generator of new practices, that it is about seeking out new ways of doing things and it being exciting to do that. And if you can, seeking out new ways of traveling. Um, um, and, you know, do, you know, if possible, do that AGM on the computer and then you have the rest of your day to yourself rather than traveling or traveling by land and then you get that really nice slow travel where you see a lot of the world and it connects and you meet different people that you wouldn't have otherwise. But yes, it is absolutely a minuscule part of the problem. Yeah, but sorry. it is still I, a part. I think I gave, I, yeah, I mean, I gave an absolute uh, no shit Sherlock statement there, didn't I? <laughs> because that's not really the point, and it's not really the point of the of the uh, of the project either. Um, but maybe we can look towards wrapping up because we'll be almost doing it this conversation for an hour. Um, and we've not really touched. <laughs> Yeah, so maybe we can just begin to touch on failure and we maybe come back for part two. I think that's a good idea. I think, um, yeah, maybe you can tell me what your sort of working definition of failure and success is. Fucking hell. Um, yeah, success. I think f for you or how I'm interpreting it, or like from what you've said. I didn't actually, ask you about what my no, no, idea no, no, of what failure oh, and success. Like I, I'm on the thought train now. You're trying to derail the thought train, and this is my thought train and left the station. And 
you're like this idea i thought of in terms of career right and that's i think how i thought of it for a long time this idea of success and i think there's often when we're talking of success one is obviously trying to psychologically comfort themselves or i know i certainly do the idea that success isn't you know having the solo exhibition in moma and having 18 monographs about you written you know it's uh actually uh uh success is actually being able to just keep on going and I, and like th there's something what's the best way to put it there's obviously a psychological comfort here in the sense that success is always revised down and it's revised down to the point where it's just success, meaning like success is to keep going. And the more I think about it, <laughs> the more I think about it, the more depressed that makes me feel the idea that success is just simply to put one foot in front of the other and keep on putting one foot in front of the other. Um, so there is this idea of thriving, I think, to, to complicate that just rather than being like, it's about, as you hear people say, like, when you graduate from art school, success isn't having your degree show sold out or being picked up by a commercial gallery. Success is being practicing in 10 or 15 years time after you're outside of art school. That's what success is. And that's how success should be judged. It's the tortoise and the hare and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I think also that can, that can be quite depressing, you know, because I think that to keep, to keep you going, I think you do need a little bit of adulation or a little bit of positive feedback. Otherwise, you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Why the fuck do I need it? And people will just make work because they need to make work. Like art chose them. They didn't choose art. Um, and I think I have a little bit of that in me. That's why I'm still here because I like fundamentally I can't really do anything else. I'm not really of use to society in any way, but I understand, or at least I think I understand art and get it. Um, not just visual art, like other art forms I, I seem to get for want of a better word. Um, and maybe that's, me trying to think about what's my value add to society, but I would definitely be like, you know, I'd be cannon fodder or I should be cannon fodder. I'm basically one of the bee class, in, meaning like the bumblebee, like, you know, bees, like the worker bees. Like that was my purpose in life, you know, but I can't do that. I can't be a bee in a, you know, they don't exist anymore. So you have to find something to do. You know, you can't just become cannon fodder in a war or you can't become, you know, factory fodder as it were. Um, so I have to find something else to do. So the um, professional artist is like an infantryman in no, the contemporary world. No, 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 no. That's what I mean. Like, so it's one thing. You know, I could have been a plumber. You know, but I can't, you know, I'd have to probably have done a module or something like that in college. You know, to become a plumber. Um, but yeah, the 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 value add, I suppose, is that I kind of understand it and I feel like tuned in. I feel like I have that kind of creative need in me. So I think that would happen anyway. Like the the creative side of me, it would just happen, and I would find joy and value in it and of itself. But the idea in terms of art and success, like I have to think about it in terms of a career because it's also kind of my like sort of my profession. So I have like what you would call professional pride, and I think that's quite different from success. Fuck, there's like this is going on. There's so many different ways when you break it down and think about it, what it could mean. Um, but basically, I think success is to try and f like your 
looking forward to a day, I think. Put it like that. You're looking forward to more days than you're not looking forward to. Put it like that. You're, you're, uh, you found a place in a niche and a groove, a tranche where you're, you're on the beam, you're riding the beam. There we go. Uh, in regards to like professional art or in regards to just all, all career paths or just I think like all, all life? career, all like life. Like I think when you're really successful with art, art and life kind of meld and it's not, like you can't think of it as labor, like it's transcended. It's no longer alienated. Like it is, you're riding on the beam, I think, and you're you're engaging with it. But then at the same point in time, I think that that's such a fleeting feeling that it's, uh, you know, no matter what you're the 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 what do they call it? Like the hedonic treadmill resets, and you're you know you're just you know churning shit out. Uh, because that's what you do. But like, if you can still keep the joy of being creative. Like that's fantastic, um, but in terms of success, but I don't know if I would call that success. Like I don't know if that would work. I think success means something in the context of what of like art and what we are talking about it in terms of fuck and stuff and and I would say I'm I've failed. Like I'm unsuccess. I don't know if I've failed because you know that's only when I die or even twenty years after I die. You know, success is. Uh, Success is the thing that I'm seeking and constantly trying to succeed. I'm constantly trying to succeed um, without ever succeeding. Success is the process, not the end goal. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's a rise and grind. Basically, basically my philosophy James is, is a rise and grind. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, th th like if I, because if I was to look at it objectively, I'd say I haven't succeeded. Like I haven't succeeded. I haven't got any of the markers. If we're talking about success, like career success, like I don't think so, and I, I don't think who the fuck does. Anyway, sorry, you go for it. No, I was just thinking. You just said uh, if we think about success objectively, we don't have any of the career markers, and I was like, none of that is objective. It's all uh, like our understanding of what career success in any capacity, like outside of art or inside of art, that is all subjective. It's a, a social framework that we've created and there's nothing objective about it but it's still real it's it's not something, though <laughs> something can be something can be we, we've decided that an academy award is success yes that does not necessarily mean you are successful that driving miss davies daisy <laughs> <is a good laughs> yeah. or or, or exactly. like any any of that stuff it doesn't even mean that uh but if somebody said to you, oh, I won an Academy Award, if Daniel Day-Lewis came in and was like, <laughs> oh, I've won three Academy Awards for good acting, you wouldn't go, oh, like, so what? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw you in the imaginary thread and you were shit. It's a phantom thread. Yeah, phantom thread, sorry. Yeah, I don't know. Uh I mean, maybe, because we're like, what if he's like, oh, I've won three Academy Awards and my life is miserable. I feel like a frog. Yeah. I, a <laughs> I, hate frog. My, I hate my life. And, uh, I wish I was a plumber. Yeah, yeah. Or, or like, and, and I'm destroying the world in the process of, uh, you know, well, like what, just because we have all sort of committed to them does not mean that they're objective. It's still a subjective and social framework. But it's still real. Like yes, like and we no. can pretend. We no, can it's pretend. Not pretending. Like it's success is a subjective thing, and it's like a completely movable thing. In twenty years, 
we will maybe change our mind entirely. Tune in next time for a lively episode of failure understanding care and kunst where james lee will repeat the phrase but it's real <laughs> and will repeat the phrase but it's entirely made up bullshit and we're both right <laughs> for th three years as a durational art piece <laughs> replacing the batteries each time as they go uh mm. yeah cool um Let's, Tune in next time. Yeah, um, yeah, because we need to leave a few minutes at the end, end anyway for ads and stuff. Aye. And edit out the silences. Right, okay. This, this podcast, podcast was, was brought, brought to you by us. Mythic. Mythic. Okay. James. <laughs> no, stop, cut. Come on. <sighs> James Stuart Lee and Ruth Alexander Aiken. Together, we are the duo behind Failure, Understanding, Care and Kunst. A.K.A. Fuck. And you were listening to us for the last hour, probably, unless you skip to the end by accident. So you've had the joys of so much of our banter, so we'll spare you more and just tell you Why? that... This podcast was brought to you with funding from the Norskulturrad Norwegian Arts Council. We would like to thank Nicholas Horner and the Kunstakademia here in Tromsø for all of their help. In addition to Tromsø Kunstforening and everybody that has been on our podcast. We have a zine now called On Failure. So please, if you want a copy, let us know and we'll send it to you. We're very nice. Yes, we are. The music in this episode was brought to you by Jack's Broken Head. Made from the failures, glitches and outtakes of the record. We'll be back for part two of this episode. The episode will be in your feet right now. So you can listen to part two of this conversation, which was recorded four and a half months after this episode was recorded uh, and uh, thank you for listening to our podcast series thank you